I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to Outbeat News in Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, it's our first show of the new year, and we're going to begin by updating you on some of the new laws related to LGBT rights that went into effect this month. Rick Zibber, Executive Director of Equality California, will be on to tell us about some of the important legislation they sponsored. And we'll also get an update on the Fair and Inclusive Education Act passed four years ago. Professor Don Romsberg from Sonoma State University will be here to talk about his work on a statewide committee working to integrate LGBT history into public school curriculum. And in the second half of our hour, we'll get you inspired to travel abroad using a new app called Wimbify. Now, this new app can link you up with LGBT people from around the world who offer various travel and hosting services. Alessio Virgili is here all the way from Rome, Italy. All of this is coming up next right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, January 24th, 2016. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. In New York, Presiding Bishop Michael Curry said the U.S. Episcopal Church will not roll back its acceptance of gay marriage despite sanctions imposed last week by Anglican leaders. In a phone interview from England where he attended the gathering of top Anglican archbishops, Curry said he told his fellow leaders they should expect no change. The top Episcopal legislative body called General Convention last year voted overwhelmingly to authorize same-sex marriage ceremonies in church. In response, Anglican leaders last Thursday stripped the Episcopal Church of any role in deciding doctrine or determining how the Anglican communion operates for three years, effectively reducing the church to observer status in the 85-million-member Global Fellowship. Curry said, they heard from me directly that it's not something we're considering. They basically understand we made our decision and this is who we are, and we're committed to being a house of prayer for all. Curry added that the church was resolved to work toward building acceptance of same-sex relationships throughout the Anglican Fellowship, which the Episcopal Church represents in the United States. And in San Francisco, the GLBT Historical Society announced the appointment of Terry Beswick as the executive director starting in February. Terry brings his years of experience leading and building another Castro-based nonprofit, the Castro Country Club. Terry is a longtime AIDS activist, is enthusiastic about queer history, and promises to bring in a new era of growth and vision for the GLBT Museum. Beswick provided principal leadership for the Castro Country Club, a 33-year-old nonprofit volunteer-based community center serving LGBT people in recovery. Previous to his role at the Castro Country Club, Beswick served as a volunteer at the club, while he was obtaining a master's in fine arts degree in creative writing from San Francisco State University. He's also worked as a journalist and as an AIDS activist with nonprofit and governmental organizations, including Project Inform, the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, and the White House Office on National HIV-AIDS Policy. You can meet Terry at the GLBT Museum's fifth anniversary celebration called I Love History. This will take place at the museum on Friday, January 29th from 7 to 9 p.m., You can learn more at glbthistory.org. And finally, in Napa, the Napa Valley Wine Train announced their 2016 Pride Ride, featuring a sparkling wine reception, multi-course gourmet dinner, wine tasting from some of the region's finest gay and lesbian winemakers, and an after-party with a DJ and dancing. On board the train, you'll have a chance to talk with winemakers and the wine train's executive chef, Kelly McDonald. 
A portion of the proceeds from this event will benefit the Richmond Ernett Aid Foundation. The Wine Train's Pride Ride departs on Saturday, March 19th, and you can learn more at winetrain.com forward slash package forward slash pride dash ride. Now here's your calendar of events for the coming week. On Monday, January 25th, the Positive Images Sonoma LGBTQI Support Group will meet at the Sonoma Community Center, 276 East Napa Street in Sonoma. And also on Monday at 5.30 p.m., the Marin AIDS Project will host its Mix It Up monthly mixer at the Four Point Sheridan, 1010 Northgate Drive in San Rafael. And on Tuesday, January 26th at 6 p.m., the Transgender North Bay Male to Female Group will meet at the Positive Images Center, 312 Chin Street in Santa Rosa. And on Sunday, January 31st from 4 to 8 p.m., Hershey Mixer will take place at Kibo Rustico, 1305 Cleveland in Santa Rosa. Join this local women's group for an evening of cocktails and socializing. There's no cover charge, and you can learn more at NorthBayLScene.com. And to save the date for you, the Napa P-Flag organization invites you to dine and donate at Il Posto Italian Restaurant, 4211 Solano Ave in Napa. A portion of the proceeds from that night will go to benefit Napa P-Flag. This event will take place on Monday, February 1st from 5 to 9 p.m. For more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And for all the latest LGBT news headlines, go to our website at OutbeatNews.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for updates from Outbeat Radio News all week long. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Equality California is perhaps the most successful LGBT civil rights organization here in our state. They've sponsored more successful pro-LGBT legislation than anyone else, and their work continues today in this post-marriage equality period. With us now to give us an update on the new LGBT-related laws that went into effect this month is Equality California's Executive Director, Rick Zibber. Rick, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you. We haven't had anybody from Equality California on in some time. So before we get started, tell us, how long have you been the Executive Director? A little over a year, about a, about a year and a quarter. I started in uh, September of 2014. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got involved with the organization. Well, I've, um, I was a uh, partner at a law firm, Latham and, a large law firm in Los Angeles, Latham & Watkins, and um, had uh, served on a number of LGBT boards in the past. Uh, the most recent one uh, was my service for Lambda Legal on their national board. And um, uh, was convinced to uh, to come onto the board of Equality California in January of 2014, and then um, our executive director um, at the time uh, announced that he was leaving in April, and the board came to me and asked if I would uh, step in as the new executive director, and uh, I uh, I agreed to do that. Great. Well, last we had someone on from Equality California, we were in the midst of a fight for marriage equality in California. And a lot's happened since then, of course. We have marriage equality now. So catch us up. What's Equality California been up to? Well, one of the things that uh, our board did uh, around the time I um, started as executive director, actually we started a few months before I officially started, was um, a strategic review of our mission and um, the objectives that the organization should be working on. And 
um, we asked ourselves, um, you know, what is the next phase of the LGBT movement and what um, kinds of things are appropriate for an organization like Equality California to work on and what could we have impact on. Um, and so when you think about it, um, the things that um, uh, are key uh, capabilities of Equality California are our ability to uh, work with government and advance um, priorities for the LGBT community in government. Um, to date, we've uh, had uh, over 110 bills passed by the California legislature that have made California the state with the most comprehensive uh, civil rights protections for LGBT people in the country. Um, so we saw that as one of our key um, uh, our, our key um, uh, capabilities. And then the other one is the fact that we have a really significant education and outreach capacity um, with over 800,000 members. We are the second largest LGBT organization in the country in terms of membership and communication capacity. So with all of that, we basically said, what's the, you know, what should we be working on? And with marriage equality uh, behind us in California and a pretty robust set of civil rights protections, we started focusing on really the next phase of the movement, which is how do we improve uh, the lives of LGBT people in both California and outside it, focusing on the fact that LGBT people face significant disparities in health and well-being um, and living conditions compared to the general public. Um, so, for example, um, LGBT people are more than twice as likely to be living in poverty. We have very uh, low rates of health insurance coverage um, for a variety of reasons. Um, uh, over 40% of the homeless youth um, in um, our major cities in California and actually throughout the country are LGBT. Four out of ten uh, homeless youth are LGBT kids. We've got uh, high rates of substance abuse, high rates of bullying in the schools, um, high dropout rates for our kids. And, and seniors living in isolation, um, and all of those problems are uh, multiplied if you're an LGBT person who comes from a community of color or is transgender or is undocumented. So um, we're really focused on using the tools of government and our organizing and outreach capacity to really address all of these disparities that LGBT people face, and that has really guided our mission as we move ahead. Yeah, well, you've done a great job of really pointing out what a lot of people have forgotten in this post-marriage equality time is that is that we may have a lot of laws and protections on the books, but we're still experiencing a lot of recoil from the marriage decision and a lot of effort to oppress LGBT rights to, in essence, take them away. Yes, I mean, we just had very good news yesterday, which is, you know, the fact that the um, uh, some right-wing um, extremists, the same people that brought us, that put Prop 8 on the ballot, were trying to put a ballot measure on the California ballot for 2016 that would have targeted the transgender community um, and really would have prevented them from using public facilities um, and would have created a $4,000 bounty. Um, luckily, they failed to gather the signatures necessary to put that on the ballot. But we know that these groups are still out there and that there's still a lot of work to be done in advancing um, acceptance for the LGBT community. Um, in fact, when we did our mission statement, one of the key objectives that we adopted is really, uh, now that we have civil rights laws in place, is really to 
um, enhance and expand acceptance for LGBT people. And we know, of course, that the transgender community is um, uh, one of the next um, is one of the, um, the the parts of our community that's in the cross in the crosshairs, and we're very focused on. Um, expanding acceptance for transgender people um, in California and across the country. Right, right. Well, again, it makes the point that just because we have laws in place doesn't mean that people's attitudes and treatment of LGBT people have changed. I've said for a long time, I think Equality California is one of the most successful advocacy organizations in terms of getting legislation passed. You cited 110 new laws uh, supporting LGBT rights that Equality California has been involved in. And you've partnered with great people like Senator Mark Leno. Talk about last year's accomplishments and what new laws are in effect now here in 2016. Well, we had, uh, I think, eight bills this cycle that um, we were successful. Um, in fact, all of our bills um, uh, we were successful actually having adopted by the um, by the legislature and signed into law by the governor uh, with the exception of one bill, which is a two-year bill. Um, but some of the key um, uh, new laws that were passed is one that would require that social service and health um, uh, health uh, agencies in the state of California begin uh, gathering uh, voluntary information about people's sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, and it's what, what we call data collection, and that sounds like an eye-rolling uh, uh, you know, a, a numbingly boring topic, but it's it, it's important when you think that um, lots of government dollars are spent to uh, enhance the lives of people throughout the state, but the government does not keep track of whether or not programs and program resources are benefiting the LGBT community because they don't count us. So one of the key um, objectives we had in the last legislative cycle was making sure that California law was changed so that we give uh, health and social service agencies the tools to understand whether they're serving the LGBT community um, and also the the tools necessary to better target um, their activities. So, for example, um, how do we know whether government programs are benefiting uh, the four out of ten homeless youth that are LGBT if they're not collecting information about whether or not LGBT people are benefiting from those programs? So that's an example of why data collection is so important, and we got that, that law signed into law um, in this last election cycle. So where will people see those questions pop up then in their daily lives? So any time that um, a government agency now in the um, – and it's not every government agency. We decided to focus on those that, um, uh, you know, we're taking this bill in pieces. And so um, given that addressing, you know, disparities in health and well-being uh, primarily arise um, and are dealt with through health and social service agencies, um, any time a social service agency is gathering de- demographic information about other things, uh, per- a person's race, ethnicity, age, um, those kinds of things, they will be asking those voluntary questions um, as part of the, you know, as part of the forms you fill out when you go in to receive government services. And it's it's voluntary, but um, but that information is will now become part of what every person is asked to provide when they're asked to provide other information about themselves. Fantastic. Well, you mentioned there were eight bills. What are some of the others that are important for people to know about? Well, we partnered with the ACLU and a number of other colleague organizations this cycle in in a law that requires the school um, curricula that is in California schools 
uh, to fairly reflect uh, LGBT people and their families. Um, and so that, uh, as part of the sex education curriculum in California schools, um, that's something that's important because to combat um, bullying in schools and social acceptance for LGBT kids and kids of LGBT parents um, in making sure that all kids understand uh, about the fact that there are LGBT people that are part of our communities. Um, and that's an important bill that is intended to try to help address the conditions that LGBT youth face in the, in the schools. We had another bill that was uh, advanced by Assemblymember Patrick O'Donnell of Long Beach, a former high school teacher that requires school districts in the state to provide information to teachers uh, to help them uh, both uh, understand whether kids are facing lack of acceptance um, in school, at home, or in the community, um, and help them understand how to better support those students. So that was another bill that was signed into law, again, focusing on the conditions that LGBT uh, youth face. We had a couple bills also with um, uh, Senator Mark Leno, uh, one that is focused on um, making sure that members of the transgender community health needs are met. Um, one bill that um, Senator Leno advanced was uh, a bill that requires uh, that companies who contract with the state of California um, uh, provide the same health care coverage to transgender people, equal health care coverage that they do to their other employees. So that has a big benefit uh, with our focus on improving um, the lived equality for LGBT people outside the state of California. That's something that um, is a bill that uses um, the market power of California state government to um, expand health care for transgender people outside of the state's borders. Wow. And health care is such a, a critically important issue for particularly the trans community. It's really great to see California taking the lead and, and helping to drag the rest of the nation along. Hey, I want to go back to the Fair and Inclusive Education Act. You mentioned that new bill that's going to add some curriculum to sex education in the K-12 system. How does this bill relate to the Fair and Inclusive Education Act, which was passed you know, four years ago? Well, it's a it's a uh, it's a companion bill uh, in the sense that the Fair um, and Inclusive Education Act uh, is another is a is a bill that required that curriculum be updated. The bill that we um, and this was uh, that we advanced this cycle requires the school districts provide teachers with resources, sort of support resources in the schools to better support LGBT um, students. And the, um, the other bill that I talked about that we co-sponsored with the uh, ACLU is a bill that was focused on the sex education curriculum. So it, it re requires that as part of sex education in California school that kids receive accurate information about um, LGBT people and their families. Okay. Well, that makes good sense. Let's shift gears a bit. After the marriage equality decision by the U.S. Supreme Court, a lot of LGBT organizations experienced a drop-off in donations uh, because of the sense of, well, we've made it, we've arrived, the work is over with. Talk about your experience with Equality California and what your organization saw. Where does your funding come from? Well, we, you know, we had a little bit of that drop-off um, uh, in the couple years before I um, uh, became executive director. And uh, but part of that, I think, was due to the fact that um, our organization had not done the strategic evaluation that I talked about earlier in the program, which is asking the question of 
what are the prior the next set of priorities for the LGBT community. And so we did that um, about a year and a half ago, and I can say that um, our funding is um, is healthy and back. Um, we went from um, a budget in 2014 of about uh, $2.2 million. Um, actually, the budget was higher than that, but that's what we raised and spent. Um, and this year, we uh, last year we adopted a budget of about $3.2 million, and we ended the year with a budget surplus, and next year our budget will be about $4.4 million. So we're um, uh, back at a level um, of uh, program activity um, that is consistent with um, where we were about four or five years ago. And what we can see is that... Um, is that uh, LGBT people understand that because we have civil rights laws in place that we don't have what we call lived equality, um, equality and uh, all the things that the same kind of equality that someone in the general population has. Um, and so that's, um, you know, when, once we've articulated that mission and we're talking about the things that we're working on, focusing on our schools and, on, and um, achieving health care for undocumented people, um, addressing lack of acceptance for the transgender community. Um, uh, our community is, is back and is supporting our activities. Um, the one other thing I'll basically say is a lot of uh, the work that we're doing out of the Equality California Institute is now focused on um, really increasing the cultural competency of the institutions that support people and the general public when they're facing challenges in their lives. Um, uh, institutions like faith communities, like healthcare clinics, like schools, um, all of the things that really are uh, the safety net for someone who is not LGBT. Um, the LGBT community has either been ignored by them or has been shut out uh, because of lack of cultural competency or lack of acceptance. So we're, uh, many of our programs are focused on the institutions that provide support for people and making sure that they are equipped and understand how to address the needs of LGBT people. Well, congratulations on growing the organization financially so much. I'm I'm surprised and impressed with what you've been able to do, you know, particularly in light of what other organizations have felt, but you know, I think that's a tribute to the evolution that you're leading in terms of what are the next steps post marriage and really looking at this idea of lived equality versus legal equality. It goes back to what we were saying earlier about the fact that we may have good legal equality, but what's the experience of LGBT people out in this society? And it's it's clearly less than what the legal standard is. So talk about 2016. What's on the agenda for Equality California in the coming year? Well, uh, very focused on advancing cultural competency training um, in uh, many of the institutions that affect LGBT people. We're going to be pushing for more state funding for these kinds of programs. And what I mean by that is um, going into the institutions and, um, and training um, people that provide uh, care uh, in terms of the special needs for the LGBT community and really about our community so they are, cu- they are culturally competent and understand the community. So one of the things we did last year was we um, did cultural competency trainings in healthcare clinics, about 50 of them in California's Central Valley. Um, and trained um, healthcare providers and healthcare clinic workers about um, LGBT people, what appropriate language is like, how to make sure that those are welcoming and supportive environment and special um, healthcare um, needs that the LGBT community has. We're 
um, hoping to develop a cultural competency program for school districts throughout the state um, and are very focused on that. But um, from a legislative perspective, we'll be pushing for um, more resources to enable um, folks like police departments, schools, and um, uh, health care clinics to provide these kinds of trainings. We also are uh, very focused on a bill that would modernize the laws related to um, uh, transmission of HIV. Um, the laws that are in place on the books today um, impose a very um, harsh penalties uh, for, on people who have HIV simply because of the condition they're living in. Um, and so we, um, th these laws um, were developed at a time when uh, people didn't understand very much about HIV and are not really based on good science, and they stigmatize people with HIV with significantly higher penalties um, for activities that could result in transmission compared to other kinds of diseases. So we're very focused on modernizing those laws um, to try to improve the, the lives of, um, of people in our community that are living with and affected by HIV. Well, that's interesting that you're focusing uh, on HIV. 2016 marks the 35th anniversary of the discovery of the virus. And just recently, the FDA modified its ban on gay men donating blood, but reinforced the discrimination uh, in that ban by still disallowing anybody to donate blood who has had sex with another man in the last year. Are you doing any work around that issue? Yeah, we, in fact, we actually have a focus program. One of the things that we are actually doing outside of our state's borders is that we have a lobbying team that we've um, engaged um, uh, with a, a law firm of Brownstein, Hayek, Shrek, and Farber in Washington, D.C., which has a significant um, each, uh, FDA and um, uh, congressional lobbying practice. Um, and it's our program called Every Drop Counts. And we um, submitted comments on the um, proposal to update the blood donation policies that FDA had in effect. We were really disappointed with uh, both the proposal that was then um, essentially finalized earlier this week um, that maintains this one-year deferral policy. Um, in our view, it is discriminatory. Um, there is no reason why uh, good science and protecting the blood supply requires that. Um, and we really think that they should be looking at behaviors that impose a risk to the blood supply and should not be looking at an individual's sexual orientation as the basis for determining whether or not a person can give blood. Um, you know, uh, there are, uh, you know, there are, there are, uh, many, many, many thousands and millions of um, uh, gay and bisexual men um, who are pose no risk to the blood supply. Um, they are uh, HIV uh, negative, have been tested repeatedly, um, many in monogamous relationships, and it is just simply discrimination to prohibit, that, to, to require that those people be celibate for an entire year while at the same time a non-gay um, or bisexual man who is engaging in um, uh, risky practices and unprotected risky practices are, is, an, is allowed to give blood. And so we're not um, going to give up on this despite the announcement earlier in the week. Good. Well, we'll look for some progress on that issue in the coming year. So I always like to talk to my students about getting involved in the movement. Talk about how people can get involved with Equality California and some of the initiatives that you've been talking about. 
Well, there's lots of light ways to be involved. First way is to become a member. Go onto our website, uh, eqsa.org, and become a member of the organization. Um, get on our mailing list. Um, we um, And that's not just simply making a contribution, but it's really becoming part of our outreach and advocacy team. Um, when we're advancing legislation, when we're um, advocating for changes in the law, um, either at the legislative or at the administrative level, we call upon um, individuals to um, uh, to make calls into elected officials, into government offices, um, and so we we have advocacy teams that we have in um, uh, throughout the state of California, and that's one way that you can become uh, one of the advocates for full equality in the state of California. And then um, beyond that, we have. Um, um, we have leadership teams in each of our major cities, and we have groups in um, California Central Valley um, that you can become involved with. But um, if you uh, email um, me at Equality California, we can uh, hook you into our um, into our various programs. Awesome. So tell us where people can go to learn more. www.eqca.org. Great. So there's a website. And what about the field offices? Are there still locations around the state people can visit? We do. We have uh, we have field offices in Sacramento and in Palm Springs um, and in Los Angeles. And um, we are um, and so we have uh, staff throughout the state and we have other uh, staff that works the San Francisco Bay Area. Excellent. And if you missed the website for Equality California, once again, it's www.eqca.org. We'll also have it on our own website at outbeatnews.com. We've been talking with Rick Zibber, Executive Director of Equality California. Rick, congratulations on all your success and best wishes in the new year. Thank you so much. And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat News In-Depth on KRCB Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, four years ago, Governor Brown signed into law the Fair and Inclusive Education Act. Now, this is a law that requires K-12 schools to include the contributions of LGBT people in social studies and other related curriculum. To date, very few schools have met this requirement, but the work to push this important curriculum forward continues. And one of the people on the front lines of this effort is Professor Don Romsberg from Sonoma State University. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, before we get in and talk about this new piece to the Fair and Inclusive Education Act, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with this legislation. Sure. Um, I have been involved with stuff around public LGBT history for many years with the GLBT Historical Society in San Francisco, and then more recently, since I became a professor, uh, I was the co-chair of the Committee on LGBT History, which is a national organization that basically works with LGBT historians and history all around the country and really around the world. And when the uh, Fair Education Act was first being proposed as legislation, I got involved with some of the advocates to help them explain to legislators why LGBT history was important for K-12 history education in California. And then once the legislation was passed, uh, I've become very active in advocating for its implementation so that it, the, uh, the law itself, which encourages the um, fair and respectful inclusion of the roles and contributions of 
LGBT people as well as people with disabilities in U.S. history education, uh, that, that uh, making sure that that actually made its way into the classroom. Mm-hmm. Now, that was passed, what, three years ago now? Yeah, and it was supposed to be implemented beginning in 2012, if you can believe it. So I guess four years ago now. <laughs> yeah, time flies. And yeah. and where are we with it? I mean, has it made its way into the classroom yet? Well, it has and it hasn't. The challenge with the act is that it was passed with the idea that it would be quickly implemented. And the idea, I think, behind that politically was that there was a fear that, like Prop 8 with marriage, that uh, a decision or a legislative act would be passed and then there would be a popular referendum to repeal it. So the idea was to get it uh, passed and put it into implementation quickly. Um, There was no real pushback against it when it was passed. I mean, the religious right did try but failed to get enough signatures to even get it put on the ballot to repeal it. And so uh, what we were left with is this wonderful law but no directions from the California Department of Education on how to implement the law and no stick on the other side if they didn't, if, if school districts did not implement the law. So essentially it's a law that says you should do this, you have to include LGBT, the roles and contributions of LGBT people in history education, but we're not going to tell you how and we're not going to do anything if you don't. Oh my goodness. So our schools taking the initiative on their own that you know of to do anything? Some are. You definitely have the uh, San Francisco School District, you have the L.A. School District being very proactive in working uh, to try to either create LGBT history-specific classes, which is something that has happened in San Francisco in the last year, or encouraging teachers to go through uh, teacher education to figure out ways to bring LGBT history into their classroom. But it's been very patchwork and piecemeal. And there's, there's a couple reasons for that. One is that uh, there is no comprehensive call from the California Department of Education to do this. But the other is that there, there is not a lot of really great material for K-12 uh, U.S. history out there that includes LGBT material. And so that's, that, those, those two challenges combined led uh, the Committee on LGBT History and the GSA Network, the Gay Straight Alliance Network, and our Families Coalition to start looking at how we could work on it from the ground up. And that led us to something called the Framework. Hmm. And, and so what's that all about? So the Framework is uh, basically the... A blueprint for what has to be taught by K-12 educators. And there are frameworks for science and uh, English and also for history and social science. And as it so happens, right as the FAIR Act was passed, the California Department of Education was revising the history social science component of its framework. So it's basically, if you can imagine, it sort of says, it's a narrative that says in second grade you should do this, in, th- in third grade this, in fourth grade that. And so we basically, a couple of years ago, went through the framework line by line and looked at where would be the best possible places to make inclusions for LGBT history. And we identified five different areas. And it was second grade, which is essentially how uh, individuals and families connect to their communities. Fourth grade, which is California history. Fifth grade, which is early American 
eighth grade, which is 19th, sort of early 20th century history, industrial revolution, uh, the West, all of that. And then 11th grade, which is modern U.S. history, sort of from the beginning of the 20th century to now, so the last 115 or 20 years or so. And so we went line by line in each of those areas and worked with uh, over two dozen scholars from all around the country and created a document that uh, makes calls for specific and comprehensive changes. And we are really hoping that it is used as a template for all over the country ways that educators, school districts, and legislators can make specific recommendations that are backed up by good scholarship. What teachers like about making the Framework Fair report is that it takes a transformative approach, which means that rather than just throwing Harvey Milk in or saying something about Eleanor Roosevelt possibly having female lovers, it really encourages students and teachers to think about how changes in the ways that society see gender and sexuality over time uh, really inform the way we think about the past and also the way that they can think about the present. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, sometimes history becomes so disconnected from, you know, the present and today's generation. I know with my own students, when we talk about the Holocaust, for example, such a major event, and yet they really sometimes have a hard time connecting with, okay, how does that impact me today? Um, right. So, so, so building in some cause to think about that relationship, I think is really, really valuable. And we've really learned that there are a lot of studies, particularly from the GSA network, that have shown that if students learn about LGBT material in the curriculum, that changes the way they treat LGBT students in their classroom. And it also treats, changes the way that all students think about what it means to be a citizen in a diverse society. Yeah, yeah. Very valuable stuff. So some of the changes that you sent me to take a look at uh, that you're asking for some action on now involve an area that I'm not sure a lot of the LGBT community really thinks about, and that's the inclusion of Native Americans and the two-spirit tradition. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to say that um, we are at at basically the end stage of this two-year process of framework revision, and we're at the very last kind of part of that process. And the good news is that because of the rigor of the Making the Framework Fair report and the wonderful advocacy of a lot of people in the community, we we are confident that there are going to be LGBT inclusions in all of the grades we suggested. There's going to be stuff about family diversity in second grade. There's going to be stuff about LGBT people in California history in fourth grade. There's going to be material on LGBT and uh, same-sex relationships in fifth grade where they learn about early America. And again with eighth grade and, of course, with 11th grade, there's going to be a lot of inclusion of the emergence of the modern LGBT civil rights movement. So the good news is we have a lot that is going to be, we're confident, is going to end up in that final new framework, um, which is wonderful. Now we're at a place, though, where we're really pushing them on questions of diversity, making sure that it's not just the white, sort of middle-class, LGBT rights movement. So we really want uh, people to mobilize around the inclusion of two-spirit traditions in the discussion of Native Americans. 
And for those that don't, for those of your listeners that don't know, of course there are LGBT Native Americans just like everybody else. Uh, but within Native, many Native American tribal traditions, there are third gender and fourth gender positions that take qualities or essences of male and female spirits and assume that people can hold those, um, those in the same body. And that there are people who have special roles within tribal communities because they hold those within their, 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 own, their own body, their own roles in society. Um, and so it's like transgender, it's like gay or lesbian or bisexual, but it's something distinct. And uh, because Native American history is always sort of such a marginal part of how U.S. history is taught anyway, we think it's especially important that two-spirit roles are a part of what people learn about when they learn about Native Americans and the ways that Native mm-hmm. Americans encountered uh, Spanish and Anglo uh, colonization, for example. Right. Well, you make such a great point that history, as recorded in the history books, first only reflected white folks. And there was a push to, to diversify that. And now we're looking to diversify with sexual orientation. And it would be a horrible travesty to only talk about LGBT white folks. Right. Um, particularly in a state that is becoming so diverse, particularly with the emergence of non-whites, um, it's, it, it just makes sense to me. And I also think that uh, I agree with you entirely that we, we've, we so often leave out uh, Native Americans, and they really have had a very positive tradition in supporting uh, non-traditional gender identity and sexual orientation, right? Yeah, and, 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 and much of that was uh, squashed or what the colonizers uh, attempted to squash that with very sort of two-sex, male-female, gender, masculine-feminine, binary roles, and Anglo impositions, for example, in the boarding schools of forcing certain kinds of gender expectations and, and sexuality expectations onto Native Americans. And what's so powerful and empowering about Native American persistence is that they have had a renaissance in some tribes in the last 20 or 30 years to really embrace the idea of the importance of two spirits as uh, a part of not just LGBT inclusion, but the reclamation and renaissance of uh, Native American traditions more generally as part of, you know, the, the importance of Native American traditions as part of how Native American culture survives. Right. Critical for, the, for that to be included in history books, for sure. So for our listeners who want to support this, what can they do to make their voices known? Yeah, I wish it was just like, click this petition or <laughs> uh, go to this Facebook page, but it's a kind of technical process. And so I've uh, given you some stuff to put up on your website, but basically you can click through and see what the recommendations are for the framework review. Um, the real thing that we want is for people to focus on this two-spirit issue. Uh, the deadline for uh, submissions is February 29th, 2016, and there's an email to send to. It's, it's hssframework, all one word, at cde.ca.gov. That's uh, California Department of Education for California. So it's HSA, sorry, I'll say it again. HSS framework at cde.ca.gov. 
And if you uh, go to the website, you'll see that we basically say we want stuff in grade four, grade five, and grade eight, and we give specific page numbers in the framework revision and then specific line recommendations for where it should be inserted. We'll make it really easy. What I'll do is I'll put what we would like you to cut and paste into an email right on our website at outbeatnews.com. Just click on show notes at the top of the page and you'll see all of the detail and the links right to that email. Don, thanks so much for sharing this with us tonight. And we'll look forward to having you and your students back on the show here very soon. Thank you so much. I really appreciate uh, being given the opportunity to talk about this really important issue. So how many of you out there have used Airbnb when you travel? Have you ever thought about how great it would be to have a similar service officially for gay hosts around the world? Well, there is an app for that, you know, and it's brand new. Here to tell us all about Wimbify, this new travel tool from Rome, Italy, is Alessio Virgili. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. It's wonderful to have you here all the way from Rome, Italy. Thanks. So this is a really exciting app, and I'm excited to talk with you about it and learn more. But before we get to that app... Tell us a little bit about yourself and the Saunders Beach Group. Okay. Uh, I'm the Italian ambassador of uh, IGLTA. And um, in uh, 2007, with my partner, Andrea, I found uh, uh, Saunders and Beach Group. Um, with Saunders and Beach, uh, we, we do a tour operator for uh, gay people, the, the first gay tour operator in Italy. And... Uh, Two years ago, we launched um, the first uh, tour of Vatican Museum in, uh, in a gay light. We show some, uh, uh, some things that uh, uh, general travel guides don't show to the tourists. Uh, for example, in the Sistine Chapel, we have uh, two angels that uh, are kissing. And um, so we show these things. And now... About uh, one year ago, we found uh, Wimbify, uh, that is uh, a mobile app for a gay traveler. And this is our new idea. Well, it's really, really exciting. You know, Tony and I traveled to Italy a couple of summers ago, and we really searched out for sort of the gay angle in Rome, and it was pretty hard to find. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a very friendly city, no doubt about that. We totally felt comfortable, but it would have been great to have someone point out as you say, those those details like the two angels in the Sistine Chapel. I, I will never forget my time in there. It was really pretty amazing. Yeah, uh, for for the, this reason, we we was uh, we were inspired to create uh, also Wimbify because uh, not more people have the, the chance to know um, some information about the gay scene in some city uh, like uh, Rome because. Um, more of the, the gay life is underground or we don't have uh, more information for, for tourists. So if you can have uh, a local guide, uh, I think it's uh, the best way for uh, know the gay scene or something uh, like uh, uh, the history that I told you about uh, the Sistine Chapel. Right. Well, Tony and I love to stay at B&Bs when we travel. I mean, it's really our preferred place to stay or type of place to stay because you do get to meet local people, the folks that own the B&B, as well as the people who are staying there with you. So Wimbify is sort of like Airbnb, but a little bit different. Tell us how it works. Yes. Um, as I told you, I was inspired uh, from uh, 
the reasons that I told you. But uh, the second reason uh, was uh, because um, uh, a, a lesbian couple, friend of me and my partner, uh, when they scheduled a homestay during their vacation, uh, when they arrived in the, in the city, they were disappointed because uh, they find uh, the owner that was not happy to have two lesbians in his home. For these reasons, we, we think that it's, uh, it's important to have uh, a gay-friendly gay host. But um, the difference with Airbnb or other uh, application is uh, that we offer also other things, uh, other uh, services uh, for the hospitality as uh, the accommodation, the local guide, the ride. Um, so when, when you host a travel uh, through our application, you earn uh, credits that uh, you can use uh, uh, on the app for uh, be hosted in the future. Uh, because uh, the hospitality is uh, free. Uh, you, you don't take money for, from the traveler. So if I understand you right, unlike some of the other apps, you're not having to actually pay. You're really trading for travel services. So, so let's say Tony and I live here in wine country, and we wanted to host LGBT folks and offer them a tour of the area, maybe take them to some wineries, show them great places to eat. We could do that and earn credits and then sure. be able to travel to, let's say, Rome, because I'd go back there in a second, and yeah. be able to find people to do something similar for us. Sure. Perfect. This oh. is the, the future. Boy, you're not uh, kidding. Because uh, the only cost that you have is um, the, the, the fee for the platform, for the, is a connection fee. Uh, so if you uh, have asked some people, you don't you have earned credits, uh, and you don't have to pay uh, other connection uh, fee for uh, your next trip or your next uh, uh, local guide or ride or the future that you want to to buy Got it. on our platform. So this could be something as simple as just getting a ride from the airport. You you show up to a foreign city you're not familiar with, and you can have somebody, a friendly face, pick you up at the airport and simply take you to your hotel. Yes, to your hotel, your apartment, or if, if you want uh, a ride because you, you want to, to go from uh, your hotel to visit another city or uh, some uh, museum that is far away, uh, you can find uh, some local that it's available uh, to, to offer you a ride. So these are strangers. Uh, is there any kind of checking that you do to make sure that people are safe? I mean, I think that would be pretty hard to do. Yeah, it's very hard. We validate the, the phone number of, of, of uh, every users and uh, they mail and uh, their uh, Facebook uh, uh, account. In the next uh, release, uh, we, we will introduce uh, a validation uh, of the ID passport. Uh, this is the, the only um, things that we can do. Um, the user can read uh, the, um, the review of uh, every uh, user, but... Uh, 
it's only it's uh, in uh, it's very hard. It's right. Very hard. Right. Well, I mean, there's risks in traveling everywhere, but I think what's really nice about this app is that it it's targeted for LGBT people, and uh, yes, and that's really really great. So let's say that I'm here in wine country in beautiful California, and I want to get involved and become a host and offer my services. Can you kind of walk me through the steps? Where do I go, and how do I put myself out there as being available? Okay, you have to uh, to log in in the app. You you can uh, um, put your proposal on the app. Uh, just uh, um, write, uh, uh, select your country, write some uh, information about uh, your uh, uh, your destination, uh, the service of your home that you want to to offer to the uh, the, the traveler and um, some pictures, and then you, you can add the, the proposal to the, the platform. It's very easy. Great. And is there a fee for me to get listed? No, no it's free. Um, only when uh, you, you want to be hosted, you have to pay the, the, the fee connection. But uh, for listing your, uh, your apartment or uh, your services, it's uh, free. Fantastic. So what are some of the popular places that users are looking to stay? Yeah, um, now our, uh, on our platform, we have hosts from many countries in the world, but especially from Europe and the United States, uh, because I think uh, the, the hospitality, it's uh, very uh, in, their, in their life. It's, uh, um, it's very usually... Um, for 2016, I think uh, the, the best LGBT destination could be a city like uh, Tel Aviv, that now is uh, very, very gay-friendly. Uh, I want to, to propose also Rome, because <laughs> I'm from, uh, from there. And um, for the gay couple, uh, I was last, last year uh, in uh, French Polynesia, and I think it's a very, very gay-friendly destination, also for gay marriage. That's definitely going to be a popular idea is to go away and do a destination wedding. And so being able to connect with someone on the ground, let's say in a place like Tel Aviv or uh, another gay-friendly location, that person could offer some services to help you set up your wedding ahead of time, right? Sure, sure, yes. Great. So... There's obviously some places that people should avoid. Uh, we always like to share that advice too. So from your place, where are places in the world that LGBT people really should stay away from? Yeah, I, I think uh, there are some uh, uh, Muslim countries where LGBT people should stay away or should be careful because uh, we, know, we know that uh, the, um, the religion, it's uh, a very... Uh, very problem for the um, homosexuality, uh, but in uh, Europe and the United States or uh, in other countries, I think uh, every LGBT people can uh, travel. Uh, in some place, uh, they have to stay careful, but uh, I think the the only one is uh, where there is Muslim religion. Okay. But, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So you mentioned that there's an app, and is that available for both Apple and Android? Uh, the app uh, now is available on Apple, 
uh, device and we are publishing, uh, I hope this week, uh, the, the version for Android device. In the next year, we are uh, planning to, to develop also a desktop uh, uh, version of the app. So what are some of the new features that you are planning to add to the app? Yes, we are planning to, to offer the, the opportunity uh, to share your vacation idea on the app and fire, find a travel companion because more gay people uh, sometimes uh, are traveling alone. And I think this is a, a good uh, future uh, for uh, the LGBT community. So I, let's say that I wanted to go to a particular part of Italy. I want to travel to the south. And I could say, these are the cities that I want to go to, and I could look for other people that would want to do the same, and we could meet up? Yes. Wow. Yes, true. Yeah, that can and be uh, other people can uh, contact you and uh, share some information, photos, and uh, maybe uh, with him you can change some details of your uh, uh, vacation and then... Uh, uh, go together and have uh, and have fun. <laughs> Fantastic, or maybe even fall in love. Yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Great, and you do have a website though that people can go to learn more about Wimbify. What's the yeah, website? Sure. What's the website address? Uh, uh, Wimbify dot com. Perfect. And if you missed that, we'll have that link on our website at outbeatnews.com, as well as a link for the app. I've used it. It's, it's very easy. You can download it, get it on your phone, and, and, and start traveling. Yeah, sure. Fantastic. <laughs> We've been talking with Alessio Virgili from Rome, Italy. Thank you so much for joining Thank us tonight. This is really exciting. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. And that wraps up our hour. My thanks to Rick Zibber, Don Romsberg, and Alessio Brigili for their time tonight. I'll be back next Sunday night with Gary Carnavelli for an Outbeat Extra. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week. Thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond.